Chris. Welcome to Speak and Destroy, episode 111. Speak and Destroy is the first podcast to feature interviews about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Jeremy Wagner, guitarist and co-founder of Broken Hope. As I'm recording this intro right now and about to launch this episode, it is February 10th, 2022, 60 years to the day since the birth of the great, late Cliff Burton. Metallica bassist on the first three albums, tragically lost to us in a bus accident while on tour in Europe, touring behind Master of Puppets in 1986, Beloved, celebrated, thought of fondly by everyone in Metallica, everyone who has stood in that bass position, Jason Newstead, Robert Trujillo, everyone honors and respects this guy. Uh, he was, in many ways, the soul of the band, impossibly cool, and taken, taken far too soon. But today is about celebrating. It's not only would have been Cliff's 60th birthday, but it is Cliff Burton Day, in his native Castro Valley, where he was born in Northern California. There's all sorts of celebrations going on, as there is uh, every year on this day, but particularly today because it's the 60th. There's the new Cliff Burton action figure my buddy Brian Liu and the folks at Super 7 Toys have released today. There's some awesome Cliff Burton merchandise that Charlie Benante of Anthrax, and of course one of Cliff's friends, has made. Uh, Mike Borden, who you're going to hear a lot about in this episode, Faith No More, who was Cliff's best friend and is now uh, one of the folks uh, shepherding uh, the Cliff Burton estate, especially since the passing of Cliff's dad, Ray Burton. I know he's pretty involved in Cliff Burton Day stuff. And right here in the Speak and Destroy ecosystem, not one, but two veteran guests of the show, author Joel McIver, who wrote the book To Live Is To Die, as well as another book called The Truth About Metallica, and a whole bunch of other rock and metal books. Today is his birthday, the same day as Cliff Burton. And my buddy Stavros of the band The Atlas Moth and the black metal American black metal supergroup Twilight, also his birthday. Uh, you can go listen to both of those episodes in the archives. Great guys, great conversations. And somewhere in the archives, you will also find the episode featuring Connie Burton, Cliff's big sister, who I believe will also be part of the Cliff Burton Day celebrations today in California. There's also my interview with Donnie Hillier, who sadly passed away a couple of years ago. Donnie was the singer of the band Trauma, which was best known as the band Cliff Burton was in prior to joining Metallica. So regardless of whenever you're listening to this, this is a fascinating and fun conversation. You know, I always love when I have a fellow Gen X Midwestern metal guy on the show. So Jeremy and I had a lot in common. And the reason why I'm releasing this episode on Cliff Burton Day specifically is because Jeremy was responsible for purchasing at auction a huge swath of Cliff Burton memorabilia. We're talking like t-shirts that he used to own, laminates, family photos, personal effects, all this stuff that had that went up for auction on one of those big auction sites. Jeremy was able to have the means and the ability and the know-how to get in there, to win all of the bids, to buy all of this stuff, and then so graciously, amazingly, returned it to Corrine Lynn, Cliff's longtime girlfriend, and to the Burton family. 
and it's just it's amazing and it's an incredible story it gets a little emotional as we're talking about it i know that any fan of metallica and certainly any fan of cliff burton in particular is going to enjoy this episode uh, as much as i enjoyed making it Remember, the best way to support the show, if you are into it, is to go into Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast platform of choice. Leave a five-star rating. Write a nice little review. I know every podcast asks you to do that, but it really does help in terms of visibility and whatever all the crazy algorithms are and making sure that people know about the show and are able to find it and discover it. You can also support the show on Patreon, where I do my best to put some exclusive content up there, including a bunch of interviews done out independently of Speak and Destroy over my course, the course of my career as a journalist from my personal archive with Metallica-adjacent folks like Glenn Danzig, a couple of different interviews with Kirk Hammett, who is more than Metallica-adjacent, right? Uh, Serge Tankin from System of a Down, uh, JD from The Sword, a bunch of great folks. All that stuff is available as soon as you cruise into the Patreon and throw a couple bucks in the direction of this podcast. You can also subscribe to Speaking Destroy on YouTube. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can follow me on Instagram at Ryan J. Downey underscore and on Twitter at Ryan Downey. So here it is, my conversation with Jeremy Wagner of Broken Hope. This is Speak and Destroy. The way that I love to start these conversations is to go all the way back to the beginning and tell sure. me a little bit about how you first discovered music and at what point it went from, okay, this is something that I love to this is something I need to participate in. I need to be part of this. Sure. Um, I could definitely do that. Going back to uh, my childhood, when I was basically, you know, at, at three, four years old, I was really becoming aware of music. And most of that was through uh, two ways. My parents' turntable on mm-hmm. uh, and all their vinyl and uh, everything I would hear on the car radio on an FM radio station. Now, yeah. give you a little, little idea of where I, I, I grew up, and this is relevant to um, what how I was exposed to music. Uh, I, my family, both sides, mom and dad, are from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And I was born in uh, the northern burbs of, of Chicago, Illinois, in a town called Libertyville, which uh, for 
on a trivia note, that's also Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine's hometown. He right. Was, yeah. Uh, born there as well. And I think his mom still lives there. So I was born in Libertyville, Illinois, lived there till I was about three. And my parents wanted to move up north to central Wisconsin uh, because my maternal grandparents had retired, moved from the Chicago Burbs up to central Wisconsin. And soon um, all my mom's siblings were also moving up there. They loved it. It was, you know, beautiful, rural America's dairy land. You know, it's all, mm-hmm. all, all uh, dairy farms and a lot of cornfields. So growing up uh, uh, as, a, as a kid in the heart of central Wisconsin in the early 70s, no cable TV out there. There's uh, maybe four channels you could get on on a TV. So we mm-hmm. we had like a black and white TV, got four TV channels, and then had the radio. And the radio was a big deal. For example, my maternal grandmother she she didn't listen to a lot of music, but she was um, very much in the national public radio and NPR. Oh, nice. So so she would listen to. Uh, NPR, you know, every waking moment. I and I actually I love NPR to this day because of my grandma. With my parents, again being in the car and having having a radio in the car at home, there was uh, a local rock station that you know would basically played you know classic rock back then. When I would get turned on to uh, classic rock wise, going you know you're talking like almost fifty years ago when I first really started realizing music was this special thing, you know, you just had your, your, your standards at the time, like uh, the Beatles, Rolling Stones, but when back at home, my parents were also spinning the Beatles, Neil Young, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Pink Floyd, you know, I'm just trying to remember off the top of my head, but you'd have um, this variety of, you know, vinyl my parents were into. So I'd start hearing, you know, stuff they were playing and really getting into it. Like kids would, t- I don't I don't know if you have kids or, you know, what, what you know of, of kids, but some kids, when they're into something at a young age, I'm a stepdad. Um, so I, I've been through this. If there's a movie, say, or a song, these ki- kids want to hear or watch something over and over and over and over mm-hmm. again. I was the same exact exact way. So like, for example, Bob Dylan, he had an album, Blood on the Tracks, and I love the, the song Tangled Up in Blue. It, that's my earliest recollection of really being crazy for a particular song and piece of music. And I would play that song over and over again on my parents' turntable. Oh, yeah. Scratch the living hell out of the album, you know, doing so. <laughs> and I did that with a lot of their vinyl. From there, it was like uh, I really went crazy for the Beatles. And, and um, as, as the 70s morphed into the 80s, by that time, like Pink Floyd, The Wall, when that came out, that was something my, my dad and his buddies were really, really into. And I, that was a double album. And that was that, that, that whole, that whole double album all experience. I couldn't get enough of in hindsight, thinking about just me being a guitar player, 
the guitar tone and some of the riffs on the wall were actually pretty heavy. And that really was a different sound for me. Again, I'm coming off of your typical classic rock bands that we all know, mm -hmm. the Beatles and stuff. And then I hear Pink Floyd, The Wall, and there's just, um, you know, like Run Like Hell and certain songs had these great riffs. I, I started becoming fascinated with guitars, actually. And uh, I had an aunt who was a, a folk singer, guitar player at the time. So I would gravitate towards her guitar and, you know, screw around with it. And then right around age 12, um, I had begged my mom for a guitar. I'm like, I really want a guitar. I'm fascinated by it, blah, blah, blah. So what I really wanted was an electric guitar, but my mom got me an acoustic guitar, which I'm like, eh, I don't know. This is okay. You know, I wanted to plug into an amp, right? But um, it was a great way to, a great instrument to start learning from anyway. And as bad as I wanted it and I screw around with it, I didn't take it that seriously. Now, not long after I got that guitar, I started getting turned on to, you know, I'm entering uh, junior high and I'm starting to get turned on to more metal bands. So when I was 12, it was like 1982, I was listening to like Crocus a lot and I got turned on to Jews Priest Screaming for Vengeance. I think it came out that year, 1982. And that completely blew me away. And then the first Motley, or I'm sorry, not the first Motley Crew album, but Shout at the Devil came out. And a, a friend of mine. The first big one we could say. Yeah, the first yeah. big one, right. Yeah. My friend's brother had that cassette tape and he loaned it to me. I was so into that album. I even did a speech in speech class about shout at the devil and turned like the whole class on the, these guys. And, 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 you know, uh, thinking about it now, Ryan, is I'm just streaming these memories off the top of my head. I remember that speech class and in my perception of the band, because the band members names were um, larger than life to me. So, you know, Vince Neil, Nikki six, Mick Mars, Tommy Lee, these, the names alone seem like, wow, this is this must be what rock stars are, are like from another planet. They got these great names. And a few years later, I would actually feel the same way about Metallica when I got into them. Because I thought even their Metallica's names, I thought as a teenager were amazing. James Hetfield, Cliff Burton, Kirk Hammett, Lars Ulrich. You know, it's like... Uh, they just sounded like these character names that were really cool. So anyway, I'm back, back before the Metallica thing, I'm listening to heavy metal and hard rock and learning more about metal bands and, and realizing I liked heavy music and heavier, the better. And I was on this, on this path of trying to discover bands that were heavier than the band I had just heard. So by the time I was 15, so between Judas Priest Screaming for Vengeance and that acoustic guitar, when 1985 rolled around, I was watching Metal Mania, which was a precursor to Headbangers Ball, I believe, yeah. on, on MTV. Oh, and I should add, I went from living out in the middle of the country to the, the local 
big town called Stevens Point, Wisconsin, which was this big, is a big university town. So Mm -hmm. when I moved to Stevens Point with my mom, uh, that's when we got cable TV for the first time. We actually got a color TV for the first time and a VCR. And I was on cloud nine, you know, I'm like seventh grade thinking, wow, life just got amazingly better. And with MTV back then, they showed so many heavy metal videos uh, constantly. I was really getting, I was being exposed to a great amount of, of, of bands. One day I'm watching that, this Metal Mania episode, which was kind of a special because they were tied into live at Day on the Green in Oakland, California. Wow. And yeah. that Day on the Green show was, you know, Scorpions, Y&T, Metallica. I, I had heard of Metallica because as my obsession with metal was growing, I had go through every album at the record store and I'd see Metallica albums. You know, I saw Kill 'Em All, uh, Ride the Lightning, Creeping Death EP and stuff. However, I was uh, the the son of a, a single mom who literally worked two jobs trying to rub pennies together. So I wasn't able to buy every album I, I wanted. So that said, I knew who Metallica were by their logo and and the couple albums that they had out. So I'm watching Metal Mania and there's Metallica in just a couple of seconds of of film playing. And it's easy now because YouTube has everything. Someone uploaded what I saw in Metal Mania, which was pretty cool. And and it's like just a couple seconds and they're like playing um, Fight Fight with Fire or something. And then it cut to James and Lars saying, hey, this is James and Lars from Metallica, and you're watching whatever, Metal Mania, blah, blah, blah. So that really stuck in my head. Plus, I always recorded everything I could on MTV. So I actually recorded that Metal Mania special, and I rewatched just those couple seconds of Metallica playing. And I was like, I had never seen or heard anyone playing like that, you know, and it really just a couple seconds of metallic was enough to make me go, holy shit, this is something special. So I was really fortunate getting my hands on, on music I couldn't afford. For example, I had um, a buddy of mine whose parents actually taught at the university in Stevens Point. We're, we're pretty well off and they had this, this guy, kid, Marty, who was my my school buddy he was a skateboarder uh punk type of guy he loved skateboarding and he loved metal and he probably had like 200 cassette tapes of every band you could think of i thought he was rich i would go to his house and he'd have like every iron maiden cassette and i'd just look at the covers and then all the judas priest albums and on and on and on but he was he had all these bands that were really heavy he had Celtic Frost, Slayer, you know, Show No Mercy, Metallica, of course, and, 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 and others. This is where I lead up to my life-changing moment. I was with Marty, skateboard guy, and I go, dude, I just watched MTV and I knew about this band and I wondered if you had their these albums. By, and I, he said, um, what band? I said, I called him Metallica. I didn't even know how to pronounce the goddamn name. 
Metallica. He goes, you mean Metallica? I go, oh, which, yeah. Which, let, let me jump in real quick just to yeah. tell you that this is something that I told my daughter recently that I read recently. Oftentimes, it's a sign of intelligence when you mispronounce something like that because oh. what it what it represents is that these are words that we learned uh, purely through reading and have yeah. it said out loud in conversation to other people. So, right. I, yeah, I read this article that was talking about how that's often a sign of someone who is like a voracious reader or who, who tends to learn and absorb things through reading. So oh, wow. you, you might hear somebody mispronounce a word and, and snicker at it, but in reality, it's, it, oftentimes that person is probably a little bit smarter than the average bear because that's how they learned it. And I remember as a kid, you know, I, I loved X-Men comics and it yeah. would always talk about this thing would always come up in there about the psychic rapport between Jean Grey and Scott Summers. And for years, I grew up reading that word as rapport. And at okay, some point yeah. as an adult, I, <laughs> I said rapport to somebody and they laughed. But uh, yeah, it was very validating to read all these years later as an adult. So yeah, I was having this conversation with my daughter because um, she's a big reader. And, yeah. uh, and the same thing happens where she'll, she'll say some word to one of her friends and, and, and bungle it but it's because it's a word she knows the meaning and she's read it and she's understand it so yeah same oh, thing wow. you saying well, metallica meant you you knew who metallica was you just hadn't had yeah. a conversation about it yet right it, it, you're exactly right had never yeah. had a conversation about it yet and and on that note i just that on that conversation you had with your daughter going back to my my growing years in central wisconsin as i mentioned we got four four channels if we're lucky on a black and white tv <laughs> And I got music. My other, my other things that kept me entertained, aside from using my own imagination and exploring, you know, the, the the countryside and the woods, was I read a lot. My mom was, uh, it still is this voracious reader. Uh, she had this great library of of books, and I'd go through all her. She tended to read mysteries and dark fiction and, and horror and stuff. And that that's part of my love for horror and, and writing dark fiction. Uh, now as a published author, goes back to my childhood. When I was uh, probably around by the eight, age of five or six, right when Jaws first came out in the theaters, mm -hmm. the first adult paper or adult novel I read was a paperback edition of Jaws, which was everywhere. That mass market paperback was like on every short store shelf, every drugstore, checkout, yeah. you know, you name it. And so I was um, always just really literate and, and loved books. And that was my other form of entertainment outside of spinning my parents' vinyl and stuff. So um, just wanted to mention it because that is relevant to uh, everything else maybe yeah. where my head was at. So fast forward to... Uh, my talking to Marty, the punk rock skateboarder friend, when I asked about Metallica, you know, he knew full well who they were because he had everything they, that they had done. And by the when I, everything they had done up until that point was only two albums. <laughs> it yeah. was Killer Ball yeah. and Ride the Lightning. And this was 1985. Master of Puppets wasn't even out yet. So I went to Marty's house. Uh, as soon as I mentioned Metallica, he goes, come over to my house. I'll play some Metallica for you. And uh, he was always really cool about 
dubbing me uh, albums on blank cassettes and all that, which was for me a godsend because again, I couldn't afford to buy all the albums I wanted to here and there I could, you know, but we went to his house and I remember he, he put on Ride the Lightning. It was in his basement and I was standing on his skateboard. And it's funny, I just remember every detail because it was such an important moment in my life. Mm-hmm. And the acoustic classical intro starts before Fight Fire with Fire, then Fight Fire with Fire kicks in, and then Ride the Lightning, and then For Whom the Bell Tolls. By that song, that was it for me. I was so floored i had just the, the first three songs had blown me away i remember on that intro to uh for whom the bell tolls when it goes into that rip you know just before the vocals kick in it's like din, 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 din. i remember standing on that skateboard just going back and forth to that riff it's just funny every little detail i remember to this day because that changed my life that's when I was really like, okay, I want, I don't know how to do it yet, but I'm going to play music like that. And that's all I want to do. It was like, it was like that. So I saved up money, traded in the acoustic guitar for an electric guitar, uh, started taking lessons. And then, and then a lot changed too within that year of me getting my electric guitar, taking lessons, that's when 86 hit. Then it was like Master of Puppets came out, you know, Slayer, Rain and Blood. 86 uh, is Pete, just Pete absolutely Pete. insane. Peace Cells, Rain and Blood, Master of Puppets. And then it's just, and yeah. then the list is, uh, uh the lit, it's insane. I yeah. Mean, yeah. So it, many it, albums, they, and, and, and yeah, Ryan, I was off and running then. That was, I was like, fuck. I, I just pulled it up because I knew I was going to forget some. And uh, yeah, so, so check this out. This is 1986. Yeah. Ma- Master Puppets, Peace Cells, Rain and Blood, Somewhere in Time, King, oh, Di- yeah. King, King Diamond, Fatal Portrait, mm-hmm. Creator, Pleasure to Kill. Yes. <laughs> uh, Metal Church, The Dark. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, yeah. I had that one, one. One of my favorite records of all time, Darkness Descends from Dark Angel. Whoa, bro. Oh, uh, my God. We are speaking the same way. I'll, <laughs> I'll get to that after you keep going. Bro. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, you got me. <laughs> first, first Flotsam record, first Sepultura record, uh, Rage for Order from Queensryche. And I, this is, you know, more in the sort of hard rock hair metal realm but uh you know the first van hagar record the first david lee roth full solo album i know everyone hates turbo judas priest turbo i actually like it possessed beyond the gates Mm -hmm. (laughs) bad brains eye against eye uh the first or second boybod record right roar is that the okay roar yeah roar uh nuclear assault game over Mm -hmm. uh crow mags age of quarrel and uh and I got to throw this in because it's also one of my favorite albums of all time and led to becoming what's probably my favorite metal genre as an adult, certainly. Uh, Epicus Dumicus Metallicus, first Candlemass album. Also, oh. also 1986. <laughs> it's just oh. like, and you don't realize it at the right. time as it's happening, but like, right. I mean, it gives me goosebumps. Like, what I always think of Among the Living is 86, but I think that's actually 87. It's funny you say that because I was just. Uh... Is that the comic? 
I was just talking to Charlie from Anthrax. He's a good one of my close friends. And sure. Just, uh, I just got this today because um, I was, at, I was we're, we're on a whole thing about Among the Living. And I thought it came out in 86. Right. And, I always uh, think that was, too. Oh, 87. So I just got this original <laughs> program, uh, tour guide. So you yeah. see it's at 87. But uh, I wanted to get this because there's so many fantastic photos in here wow um a lot by another friend of mine gene ambo really great I, I i don't uh, know g i don't know gene but i know the name from seeing it as yeah, a yeah. and so many credits yeah it's funny you mentioned rage for order uh because i have a i have a playlist i write to and i always just put it on shuffle and it's all these different genres you could hear stevie ray vaughn go into a rolling stones tune going into Queens, right? So the song "Gonna Get Close to You" from Rage Four. I love that song. I remember the video again, Ryan. That's me watching MTV back in the day, and they had a video for "Gonna Get Close to You." I'm like, oh, that that song's cool. So I always like that. And it's funny too regarding Turbo. I just started working with uh, a trainer um, who uh, I just literally started last week with this guy. He goes, "What music do you want to hear?" when we work out because it, it's like his own gym and he, he oh, perfect. Whatever we want. my wife also had she works out there too and she she had just worked out before me and had a a radio station based on judas priest oh right like so one of those i'm like God, just keep, or whatever. keep yeah. this yeah exactly like that and i remember the, the uh trainer goes oh priest is cool he goes don't hate me man but you know i really turbo is one of my favorite albums and i go Bro, I won't hate on you. That's totally cool. I go, I don't hear a lot of people say Turbo is their favorite freestyle, but more power to you, you know? So, yeah. <laughs> and, 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 and as you can imagine, through the, you know, I'm 100 plus episodes into doing this podcast for the last yeah. three or four years, how many times it comes up that like somebody's first Metallica record was Reload? You know, yes. somebody's first record was St. Anger. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, right. it, it really comes up on the podcast often, and I, I do, you know, kind of adjust early on to realize, you know, how common that experience is, and it's like, man, what a blessing! And I, yeah. I, I'm sure it's colored by time, place, and circumstance, as I often say, but it's also, I think, objectively true that we got into metal at just one of, if not the best. <laughs> eras when you think about that you know the mid 80s right. in terms of what's reverberated and what you know in a lot of these bands that we were talking about those are still the records that are in conversation those are the ones that get the anniversary treatment the box sets you know that are so celebrated yeah, uh, yeah and, and to uh, add some color to this whole overarching conversation I love hearing all of your background and and there's so many overlaps because I'm also Generation X. I was also born in the early 70s. Mm -hmm. Grew up with a single mom who didn't have, you know, we lived in uh, subsidized housing and she worked as yeah. a secretary and, you know, she slept on the sofa bed so my brother and I could have bedrooms, you yep. know. And, uh, wow. and yeah, in, the, in Indiana, you know, in the south side of Indianapolis. So, yeah. So oh, okay. Yeah. Extremely similar. And I got into metal a little later than you did, Um by a few years, but like a crucial few years, right? But I was into, I had an older brother and through him, I got into 
punk and new wave and yes. a lot of stuff like that when I was in like elementary school. Oh, cool. And, and then, I was also a new wave kid, by the way. Oh, rad. Uh, yeah. Back, yeah. So, so that's love, what, and to this day, I love, I friggin' love new wave. I dude, I was yeah. talking to Max Cavallari yesterday and there's a song on this Soulfly record that's coming out. You know, he always does those Soulfly instrumentals. Mm-hmm. And uh, Soulfly 12 is a very, uh, the cure, uh, Sisters of Mercy inspired uh. song. And we got into this whole conversation about, you know, Max Cavalera wow. loving <laughs> New Wave. You yes. know? Yeah, or it's like, you know, Jonathan Davis loves Duran Duran. Yeah, one of my favorites. Cover the Chauffeur, which is like my favorite Duran Duran song. Love Dur- I love Duran Duran. Yeah, yeah, my and I won't belabor it because people who listen to the podcast might be rolling their eyes right now because they're like, we, we yeah. know, the, we know yeah. this story. But, I'll, <laughs> but I'll, I'll tell you just briefly, I had a friend who was really into hair metal. Um, you know, his favorite bands were like Cinderella and, and Rat and Molly Crew, And he bought because we were poor and oftentimes you would buy cassettes based on the artwork or the band photo. Yeah. Yes, and we're always dubbing tapes for each other and stuff. He bought peace cells on cassette at the mall by mistake, thinking it was going to be like a hair metal band because he, oh. he saw the picture of uh, you know because kind of Ellison has kind of like teased hair in the photo. And yeah, right, sure. He got home and put it on and was like, "What the hell is this? Are they joking?" <laughs> Gave me the cassette just to get rid of it. Yeah, and I had totally skipped hard rock like I, I i was never you know motorhead was as hard as i got and that to me was like a punk thing because i had discovered them through the young ones which mtv used to show uh, but i was you know i was into punk that's and- how i discovered motorhead dude no way <laughs> dude, that's how i discovered Motorhead. no one's bro. ever said that, that same, back to me we've that talked same, about that same episode man dude that's so sick because yeah it's i you know face. I had a big conversation with Corey Taylor about, oh my God, that's about the young ones. And he's another Generation X Midwest guy like us. Yeah, right. um, him and I were even born the same year. And we talked all about the young ones. But yeah, but the Motorhead thing specifically, that's crazy. I've yes. never talked to anyone else. Yeah, first heard Motorhead that story, way. bro. Yes. Yeah. So crazy. Yeah. So it, that was my lightning bolt moment was getting that, that Peace Cells cassette, not being into anything metal or heavy at all. Sure. And putting it on, and it was just like I can picture myself in my bedroom putting that in the tape player. Yeah. And, and it was well, that lightning bolt moment where I was like, this, my whole life changed, you know, it's just yeah. like, what? And, uh, and yeah, and it was from there. I bought a magazine called Cream Presents Thrash Metal because it had Dave Mustaine on the cover. Yeah. And I went, that's that guy from that tape. Mm-hmm. And it just so happened that there was an article in there written by a writer named yeah. Don, Don K. Don K, yeah, the great Don K. The great sure. Don K. Yeah. Uh, who I met many years later as a film journalist. Him and I both at a movie junket together. Okay. And, and me going, Don K, not by any chance the same Don K. And he, he was. <laughs> wow. But, uh, but, but yeah, he wrote this article that was the top 20 greatest thrash metal albums of all time, which is hilarious in retrospect, given that this was like 1987. But also at the same time, it's like, well, they kind of had all come out. <laughs> right. And, and so I made it my mission 
with my $7.50 a week allowance and my lunch money where I just wouldn't eat lunch at school to buy every tape that was on in his top 20 list. And it was like, you know, creator, oh terrible certainty. And yeah, uh, I think there was a frost record in there. Wow. You know, uh, Rain and blood, I think was number one. Kill them yeah. all. Master puppets were in the top five. B cells was in there. You know, and that yeah. was how, you know, from that article and from the thanks lists inside different tapes. Oh yes. You know, yep. uh, that was, so, so yeah. So our trajectories, man, I mean, you know, Probably like me. So you, read, you read every word in the liner notes. Every you know, word. Thanks list and all that. Yeah. Everywhere, you know. Yep. Oh, Metallica <laughs> calls Exodus eggs at us because they're buddies. Yeah. You know? I got to. I got to yeah. check out this Exodus band. Then Metallica's friends with them. Yeah. Yeah. It was the same. You know, and that and that was my introduction to Metallica was via Megadeth because that you know became like oh this guy used to be in Metallica I should I should check out Metallica right. oh his name's in the he wrote some of these songs and yeah uh, right yeah yeah so, I remember when I discovered uh well when I so when I got really got into Metallica I, I would uh read every metal magazine that I could and I remember when um killing is my business is, was coming out and said uh you know, Dave Mustaine, formerly of Metallica, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And I didn't know uh, my knowledge of Metallica history was, I mean, like nil. You know, I didn't know Dave Mustaine had been this former member of Metallica. And then, sure enough, when I was reading the songwriting credits on Ride the Whitening, you'd see, you know, Mustaine mentioned on a couple of tracks. So I'm like, oh, okay, it's, this guy uh, really had been in the band and had done some songwriting and, you know, and then that opened my eyes regarding 1986 and some other stuff you were, you were mentioning when I worshiped ride the lightning, still my favorite Metallica album to this day, by the way. Um, it's my favorite, my favorite I get, also. I get, I get master of puppets, rain and blood on and on. And when I heard rain and blood, that's when I was like, wow, the, the, the speed factor and the really sobering lyrics and, 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 and tone and attitude of Slayer was like, wow, this is heavy as hell. These guys don't screw around. And uh, this is amazing. And that really got me even more into this quest to discover heavier and heavier bands. When I got Dark Angel, Darkness Descends, that album, so quickly Dark Angel, there was a, there was a moment in time where they were my favorite band. I, they, for me, they trumped Metallica and, and Slayer. That album had blown me away. Also, it, you know, just a special moment for me. You know, I remember mm -hmm. buying the cassette. Did the album cover. Camelot I mean, Music. Yes. <laughs> yep. Fuck it, dude. And I couldn't wait to get home and, and play it. And when I played it, man, I was not disappointed. I And Ryan, I bought the tape only because I read about the band in a metal mag. I didn't yep. hear them on the radio. I didn't know right. it. And I was pleasantly surprised. That became, that's one of my favorite thrash albums of all time. Yeah, me and too. The, just, just the friggin' riffs. and uh, Just so good. But I continued on this quest for heavier and heavier music and that's when thrash for me evolved into death metal in mm. my 
I'm like, wow, this is really heavy. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. By 1988, yeah. I will have, would have formed my first real band, Broken Hope, after trying to make local bands happen, Broken Hope, right, right before I graduated high school, formed, and uh, then, you know, we were off and running. But that's kind of like Reader's Digest version of my of course. Yeah. evolution from thrash to death metal, but how I got to that point. And um, I always say it, it's definitely Metallica, Ride the Lightning, really is what was a catalyst for me saying, I'm getting an electric guitar and this is all I want to do, you know? And yeah, yeah. I, I hate to make the pun that it was your lightning bolt moment, but it was, your it, was I, it was a lightning <laughs> bolt moment, right? The lightning yeah. man. Yeah. Just looking at that cover too, Ryan, with the electric chair in the blue and the lightning bolts and even the, the way the logo is done, just, just looking at it gives me a special feeling. Yeah. <laughs> it's something yeah. really, magical to me you know I, you know i was thinking the same thing about when we were, we were talking about darkness descends about the darkness descends album cover even you know in some of the maiden stuff again it's almost like you feel like you have to apologize for loving somewhere in time and seventh son but like you know those album covers like where you could just trip out and yeah uh, it, it, it's like it gave you enough to let your imagination kind of do the rest right. when when we didn't have big budget music videos uh, telling elaborate stories and we didn't have all this access to bands and everything you know just, you know rain and blood the record cover for rain and blood it was like literally like oh this is like, like hell i'm looking at yeah hell <laughs> yeah. hell awaits i'm looking at people falling into hell and rain and blood i'm looking inside hell <laughs> like in right. south of heaven i'm looking at hell on earth and yeah and i right. remember really <laughs> being so into the magazine culture and the fanzine culture and knowing everything that I could. Yeah. And I remember it's funny cause we have the horror thing in common too. Uh, and, and, and this, you know, it was so many precursors to me, like eventually becoming a journalist because I remember voraciously reading Fangoria and having a conversation with my best friend in middle school where I was like, they're making a sequel to a nightmare on Elm street. And he was like, no, they're not. And I'm like, no, they are. Yeah. And, he, and he's like, really? What's it called? And I'm like, it's called Freddy's Revenge. And I have this vivid memory where he was like, now I know you're making it up because of course it's not called Freddy's Revenge. And, and then he was like, <laughs> and then he was like, the guy's name is Fred Krueger. Nobody calls him Freddy. <laughs> so the, I remember all the way back then just being like, yeah, having that like secret knowledge that you could get from magazines. And I remember telling a friend yes. of mine as we were as we were walking home from Karma Records in Greenwood, Indiana, we'd, we had gone we had walked there to buy South of Heaven on the day it came out. Oh, yeah. And we're walking back and it's like, you know, it's a 20 minute walk back to his apartment and you're like looking at the unfolding the insert and the tape and everything. And I remember telling him I was like, dude. The first song on this album is slow. It's a slow song. Right. And he was like, come on, bro. Like, you know, Slayer doesn't write slow songs. And I was like, no, no, no. I was reading this interview with Kerry King and he was saying like, <laughs> they knew they couldn't top Rain and Blood and they're, they're the fastest thrash metal, speed metal band. And they want to just like fuck with everybody and like yeah. open with a slow song. And, and uh, yeah, and it's like, I felt like a genius when we popped it in 
And, you know, and I'm like, see, right? Because <laughs> not everybody read all those magazines. Yeah, man. I, my buddy and I got uh, an advance of uh, South of Heaven. It was only four songs, though. It was like sent to record stores, and we went to a record store. Um, again, I was by 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 1986. I was living back in Illinois. And I've been in the Chicagoland area ever since. So I moved down, lived with my dad. And uh, so in the northern rivers of Chicago, the Wisconsin state line isn't that far away. Mm -hmm. We go over the state line to this really cool record store in a town called Kenosha, Wisconsin. Yeah, (laughs) we went there. We buy it was all metal really the whole story was really and they had stuff you you couldn't get at 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 your regular chain stores either so when we were in there my buddy was friends with the store owner and the store owner didn't even though we had this metal shop he didn't care about slayer he didn't really like him and he goes he goes hey i got this promo from slayer's record label def jam this is their new album coming out, South of Heaven. It's only, you know, it's like it was a four-song sampler to play in the store. Yeah. So he just gave it to us. We got in my buddy's car, put that in. And like you said, my I was like, this is Slayer? This is probably <laughs> slow. Like, because the first track on the sampler was South of Heaven. I'm like, what the hell? And uh, but I couldn't stop listening to it. <laughs> Yeah, my buddy so good. take that cassette home and I, I just played those four songs over and over and, and, and over again. Also regarding, I just, not to digress, but Fangoria magazine. This is what we do, by the way. This is a podcast, right, so digress away. Oh, great. Well, I, I, I'm i a horror kid. Yeah. I've always been a horror kid. Um, Same. Back, back in those, again, those country days of mine as a kid, um literally I was as always talking writing, to you there's, I was there's, always, there's always some oh, kind of freddie nearby oh right on <laughs> yeah i'm wearing my my uh <laughs> right now yeah, yeah so uh i was i was obsessed with horror movies and monsters and i i get all these monster magazines and books and um like going to the movie theater was a big deal for me in, in grade school so i begged my mom to take me to the movies and one thing that I was scared of and hated in in a grade school was going to the dentist. I was really terrified of, of the dentist. And uh, and I would kind of throw a fit and, 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 you know, have an attitude about going to the dentist. And my mom would bribe me to not be an asshole, just be, please behave and be good with the dentist. He's just, we're looking out for your teeth, you know, don't be scared. If you can be cool when we're done, we'll go to the store and I'll let you pick out what anything you want, you know. Uh, so usually it was either the, the toy aisle or um, if there was a book I wanted, I my mom would give me a book or a magazine, whatever. So just so happened the day... Uh, my mom took me to the store to give me something for being a good boy at the dentist. I saw that this, there was a bunch of different monster mags. I remember I saw this magazine called Fangoria and it had Godzilla on the cover. And I looked inside and I was blown away. 
I say that a lot. I've been blown away by so many things in my life. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well Gloria, this, is another... also, this is an era when all that's happening. Yeah. Too, yeah. So, yeah. That's so not, that, other... that, unfortunately, that's not happening to us all the time now. <laughs> it, yeah. Unfortunately not. Right. <laughs> so Fangoria, that's another pivotal moment, Ryan. I, because that's the first time I ever saw Tom Savini. I never knew who he, you know, I never paid attention to. It. If I sure. had seen something done, I didn't pay attention to who did the effects back then. Um, yeah. I would soon become obsessed with practical horror effects. And as a kid, I wanted to be the next Tom Savini shortly thereafter. But anyway, my mom got me that magazine. And that was actually the very first issue of Fangoria. Uh, oh, with, wow. On the on the newsstand. Yeah. No so, way. And I was, I've been a lifelong fan of Fangoria. Talk about since. some Providence uh, serendipity yeah. there. And I was yeah. just, th- I was just thinking about Fangoria and 1986. Another thing that's 1986, mm-hmm. that is just something I love. Uh, although it's not technically air quotes good. I still love it. But the movie Trick or Treat, the, yeah. the 86 one. Right. Sammy Kerr. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's also 1986. And that was, I remember reading about it in Fangoria. That's how I even knew that it was coming out. And obviously mm-hmm. it was, it was a bomb that lived on and on VHS, but yeah, that was another thing. Cause it was just so that movie was like, I was Eddie Weinbauer, <laughs> you know, where you're like picked yeah. on by the jocks and you only got a couple friends that are into all the same stupid stuff you're into. Oh yeah, dude. I, I, I I can, I can relate, man. I, I hated jocks when I spent, it was bad up in in Wisconsin junior high. Cause it was like, they, most people that I know from the burbs and, and, and growing up in Chicagoland, you'd have maybe preps and, and, and and jocks and burnouts, but like in Wisconsin, central Wisconsin, it was like burnouts, preps, jocks, then you had they had a whole nother class, rednecks. <laughs> and they were like, when you think of rednecks now, these were like country boys that wore cowboy boots, trucker hats, smelled like manure, and they were just so intolerant. They were them and jocks were always the real assholes in my unfortunately, in my personal experience. Those they didn't fight themselves, but they were the two groups I would pick on everybody pretty yep. much you know what i mean so yep. i was always lumped in with burnouts because we all liked the same kind of music the burnouts most of them always smoked cigarettes and were about you know partying and, and getting high i wasn't really weed smoker back then or a big partier but i just let my hair grow and i you know would have my my love of metal so i yeah. gravitated towards the burnouts but um yeah, dude. We I, again. I can relate to you on on, on numerous levels. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, I, and, and, and I was the same. I was never big into partying, but gravitated towards people who did because that was sort of the, you know, where y'all just floated towards <laughs> that were. Yeah, it's exactly how you described it. And then right. a, a, another lightning bolt moment for me was discovering hardcore um, towards the end of my freshman year, and it was like, oh, this combines. Oh, yeah all the punk rock stuff that I loved as a little kid with the metal stuff that I love now. Yes. And that was, you know, that took me in a whole other direction, but 
and then eventually that always kind of circled back around to metal and, and yeah and then you become an adult and you're like oh i can love all this stuff it all makes sense together yeah and that was yeah and not to keep us on a tangent too long but the sure the, sure trick or treat you know you mentioned tom savini yes kevin yeager that was one of his early was doing the uh you know he made this whole big creature that was supposed to be sammy kerr's mascot and only shows up in the movie for like five seconds and uh yeah but that yeah i've just been obsessed with like all those little details and yeah it was the same thing it was right around that same time where uh, because through fangoria especially i started paying attention to like not just who's in the movie but like who directed it who wrote it who's doing the effects who's right yeah and that and that i think overlaps with our our music thing like you said obsessing over the liner notes and not just like who's in the band but like who are the songwriters who produced it who engineered it who do they thank right what gear do they use and that obsessive like love of this stuff is uh is so important and that all in yeah and that brings us to you know i know you're a collector of horror stuff and you're also a, a collector of metallica stuff it's fair to say right um and that was that was actually one of the ways that you and i were introduced into doing this podcast with some recent experience you've had in the metallica collector world what can you tell me about that i've got music memorabilia that i get my hands on that has a personal connection to me for example um i'm a huge fan of 70s era leonard skinner Mm. so i've got like basically this huge 70s era skinner museum you know personal whatever artifacts clothing from you know ronnie van zant for example record awards just really cool shit um i just that that's one of my favorite bands of all time we've been talking about all these genres and everything yeah. i didn't even mention 70s era skinner but i just worship that that band you know before the unfortunate plane crash that band was just incredible so I got a lot of Skinner stuff and some other bands. It's all stuff I have a personal connection to, you know. Sometimes if you tell people, um, yeah, I collect music memorabilia, they assume you collect everything, you know. Or or, or maybe they want to tell you about or give you something and you're like, I uh, uh, I don't care about that. (laughs) Or or try and sell you some memorabilia that you're like, no, no, you don't understand it. They're like, like, I've got got Huey Lewis's harmonica. Yeah. 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 So I I got, um, I've had like memorabilia I got from my friend Andy Batty, who was like, James Hetfield's guitar tech for 30 years or something. And he was relocating to over to England to take care of his alien father and was getting rid rid of a bunch of stuff. And um, my real collecting started there with with Andy. So I like basically picked up all his stuff from his, his archives and and stuff he collected. And, and a lot of that stuff, by now you're you and your listeners know i you know my love of metallica is really that early stuff so it mm-hmm. stuff i have is all most of it's relevant to like just really early metallica and you know i saw i got like these great posters from like ride the lightning tour and record awards and uh various stuff and 
to that end with with memorabilia and, and items that that I have. Um, I I'm always signed up for these various auctions that mm-hmm. will have uh, music memorabilia. So this past year, there's a uh, auction house called Backstage Auctions who actually contacted me. Uh, <laughs> usually, I'll get a phone call and they'll be like, "Hey." Um, it's really cool. It's nice of them to do it because they know, like, you'd probably be into this. I'm giving you a heads up. This auction's going to have this, this, and this in there. If, yeah. You know, you might want to make sure you're registered for the auction. And but I'm like, thanks for the heads up, blah, blah, blah. And so I got this call that there was going to be all this Cliff Burton memorabilia, all Cliff, you know, you never really hear of Cliff Burton anything popping up in an auction. So um, I'm like, okay, that definitely got my attention. Cliff Burton's my, one of my favorite bass players of all time. He's mm-hmm. definitely the, the, one of the sickest. And I, and, and I just, he, and he's I, the one, he's the one that put Leonard Skinner into the four horsemen. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <the> story goes. <laughs> yeah. He was huge. Uh, I've learned from, People close to him, like Mike Borden of Faith No More, who's Cliff's best friend. Mike Borden's a friend of mine now because of this whole Cliff deal I'll tell you about. Um, yeah, yeah. He, he told me all about his love of Skinner. They actually saw Skinner together uh, when Skinner played um, Day on the Green for Bill Graham in like 1977. Wow. So anyway, this auction comes up and then the auction becomes really controversial because there's people uh, like Cliff Burton's ex-girlfriend, Kareen Lynn, who says all that, some of that stuff was stolen years ago. There's just questionable origins of of this stuff. And there was like... And and how common is that, by the way, in that kind of auction world? Because I I suppose that probably would come up with different things. I mean, I've heard of it, of it, of it happening before. Uh, I've never, this is the first time I ever experienced like real outrage and, and, and people wanting to shut the auction down. Um, I know the auction house owner was here getting hit by people from the Cliff Burton family, people from the Bay area that are close to Metallica and Cliff and Q prime management and stuff. And uh, at the end of the day, Legally, nothing could be done about, you know, the claims that the, the stuff had questionable, sure. you know. Possession is nine-tenths of the law, as they say, right? Right. And, and, and all this stuff that w- had gone missing um, had been gone since 1988. What was in the auction were, like, for example, you know, personal articles of clothing that Cliff had, you know, primarily t-shirts and stuff. Like there was uh, the first Metallica demo on cassette, original Cliff Burton owned. There was uh, Master of Puppets on cassette from Sweet Silent Studios, like the, wow. the copy yeah. that, that each band member got from Fleming Rasmussen. And that had a different track listing order and then there were these photo albums cliff cliff's families like 
you know, grade school pictures growing up um, and then, you know, intimate pictures just with, with Metallica and backstage. And, and then there was, there was a whole nother photo. That was one fall album. And then there was another one that was all Burton family, Ray and Jan Burton having a party with Metallica and Faith No More guys. It's back when Metallica were playing their hometown, basically. I think it was Candlestick Park on the Monsters of Rock tour with Van so Halen and all yeah, that. 88, yeah. That was the first, and, that was the first and, time I actually saw Metallica right, live. Was it right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, all right. Yeah. In, cool. in Indianapolis. Yeah. Same for me up in East Troy, Wisconsin. Oh, the first sick. time I saw Metallica. Oh, no way. <laughs> I had wanted to see him before. But because my my mom, we lived in, so we're in central Wisconsin, and I'd always look at tour dates and, and you know, Hip Parade or Cream and, all, and, and say, wow, Metallica are playing Green Bay, Wisconsin or Milwaukee. And my mom's like, I got to work at 5 a.m. I can't drive three hours and yeah. sit at a, you know, I never got to fucking see him with Flip, which bums me out. But it was Monsters of Rock. I, I finally got to see him live for the first time. So um, in addition to all that stuff, there was like personal laminates, like Jan Burton, Cliff's mom, her lamp, Metallica laminate, um, wow. Corrine Lynn's laminate are a couple of them and, and on and on and on. So I, this sounds crazy to some people, but I'll just say I have the means and the mission to was going to buy, acquire everything I could to, with the intention of giving it back, mm. right. To, yeah. to the Burton family yeah. and, and Kareen Lynn. And what sucks about that scenario, cause it's an auction. I had no idea where, what the end total would be because mm-hmm. people, when they bid on stuff, especially in that last stretch before the auction ends, it's like, blood in the water, prices escalate, and this was no different. But I I ended up being the winning bidder on pretty much everything. I, I followed through with my goals. So what I did was two things. The first thing I did was I contacted Cliff's girlfriend, Kareen Lynn, who was had been, anyone who doesn't know, Kareen Lynn, was Cliff's main girlfriend for, for a number of years. And she was with, you know, still dating him in love when he died, unfortunately, in 1986. I contacted her through Facebook and said, Hey, I've seen your posts. Cause she was posting about this auction. Yeah. This bullshit. This is a crime, blah, blah, blah. That stuff belonged to me and the Burtons and this and that. I go, I got a bunch of stuff. I'm going through it. I'm going to give, you back your stuff that's yours. Amazing. I said, and then she wanted my phone number. I gave her my phone number. We got on the phone and, you know, she's crying and can't believe it. She's because she, frankly, she's like, who the fuck does something like this? I can't, what's wrong. I'm like, I, I can, I can do it. And I'm happy to do it. And uh, this just happened at the right time in my life where it's no sweat. I'm able to, to do, to do it. And then from there, 
It's making me emotional, that's, man. That's when Mike, Mike Gordon got, yeah. I know it's, it was, a, it, it's been, yeah. it was really emotional. And then yeah. Mike Gordon got my phone number and hit me up. And I remember I got this call and I, I didn't know the number. I picked it up and he goes, is Jeremy there? I go, yeah, this is, he goes, hi, um, my name's Mike Gordon and I'm friends with uh, the Burton family. And I'm like, I know who the fuck you are, Mike Borden. I'm like, what's up? And he's like, well, um, I've been working with the Burton family. Cliff Burton and I have, were friends since grade school. And he was my best friend. And I was kind of, he, Mike Borden's basically like a, the son that Ray and Jan Burton never had. You know, they had two sons that died. Cliff's older brother died and, 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 and Cliff, unfortunately. And um, when I first met Mike Borden before all of this, it was at a NAM show and he was chaperoning and, and, and bodyguarding Ray Burton. And he mm. would travel with Ray all the time. And Ray brought Mike Borden into the, the Cliff Burton family foundation and the, you know, the Cliff Burton family estate and, and yeah. Mike manages that now. To a oh, rat. I didn't know that. That's great. So, he calls me up and I'm like, yeah, Mike, I know who you are. And he goes, look, I understand you acquired a bunch of Cliff stuff. You might have the intention of giving some back and blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, you beat me to the punch. I already talked to Corrine Lynn because I see some stuff with her name on it and whatnot. And I'm going through that. I'm going to give her her stuff back. And I was going to hit up the the Cliff Burton family. I know Ray's stepdaughter, I think it is Casey, who also runs it. I was going to talk to her and arrange things. He goes, well, I'm enlisted as, as one of the people running the Cliff family foundation or whatever in a state. Can I talk to you about what, what you have? Blah, blah, blah. So I said, yeah, this is what, what I have. You know, he's completely floored by the gesture he he knew some of these pieces real well mike did you know he validated yeah that's you know this was cliff's shirt because of the way the sleeves were cut off you know um like the dawn of the dead uh, shirt there was um like cliff had uh was in the throwing stars that's very that's very 80s very 80s they do an in-store signing and, you know, the store would sell throwing stars and Cliff would buy throwing stars and shit. So Corrine Lynn got her laminates back and, 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 and uh, I think a shirt or two and some other, some other stuff. And then the Burt family, they got all those, I gave back all those photo albums, uh, laminates as well. Like again, jam. Burton's laminate and you know shit that you know if someone's got your name on it like that it's like you wonder how really how did someone wind up with Cliff's mom's laminate you know I mean just some really to me shady stuff uh I gave Mike Borden back uh, or gave him one of Cliff's throwing stars for him for him to keep because and, and Mike he's got the best cliff stories, you know, like the hit him and cliff went to grade school together. And I think it was, if I got the story, right. If I remember right, Mike had told me how he was walking down a road somewhere near Castro Valley, California, where the Burtons are from and everything. And 
on a very somber day. I believe it was the day that Cliff's older brother was at, had his funeral, actually. Ray was driving the family car and they're back and they see this kid walking down the road and Cliff goes, hey, Dad, that, that's my friend Mikey Borden from school. Maybe he needs a ride. I don't know what he's doing out here. And they pulled over and Cliff's like, hey, Mike, it's Cliff. Uh, you need a ride, man? And he's like, yeah, sure. So they the Burtons gave him a ride and they became best friends from that point on. And wow. um, Mike just has all these great sh- stories of how uh, the two of them would take turns buying tickets to certain concerts that one, one guy would get tickets to like the sex pistols. They saw the sex pistols together somewhere in the Bay area wow. on that, Cliff on that tickets. only American tour. Yeah. On that only American tour. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and then like that day on the green, I told you about Mike Borden somehow got free tickets to day on the green with Peter Frampton, Skinner and all these others on, I think it was like 4th of July or, the 4th of July weekend, 1977. And he's banging on Cliff's bedroom window. And everybody t- that knows Cliff that tells me these great Cliff stories all said he, he hated getting up in the morning. He, ever since he was young till he was an adult, he did like to sleep in and just took forever getting out of bed. So Mike Borden's pounding on the window and Cliff's not getting up and Ray Burton at one point came outside like, Mike, what the hell are you doing pounding on our windows so early? He's like, I got free tickets to a concert trying to get Cliff up. So Cliff finally got up and said, dude, we're going to go see fucking Skinner at Oakland Coliseum or whatever. Dan the Green and just great stories like that. And then it was like Jim Martin, formerly Faith No More, Mike Borden and Cliff the three of them formed their first band together. My love of Cliff has been rewarded knowing Mike Borden because Mike's shared his own personal photos with me. So like Jim Martin, Mike Borden and Cliff, like he sent me this picture of them jamming together and Mike Borden, everyone knows him as the guy from Faith No More and other bands with dreadlocks, but he had this big, super huge Afro. (laughs) Like a white guy, white guy afro, and I'm not yeah. kidding. Look at my hands. It was like if you see his senior high school photo, it's like a globe. <laughs> and he got the nickname Puffy, which he's still referred to as this day by Cliff Burton. Cliff Burton is the one who gave him that nickname. I got I I I I I guess everything that I, I purchased from that auction went right back to the the Burton family and then I think I sent you a link they had done a thank you post yeah to Jeremy Wagner for his generosity and blah 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 and I'm just saying man that was like made me feel amazing on top of the world so it's so awesome it's it's like um and Mike Borden just got back uh Cliff's famous uh Dawn of the Dead t-shirt. That That's he, what I thought of when you talked about the sleeves. Yeah, yeah. And I was trying to help Mike Borden get that back. I actually uh, had, during the course of the auction, and a lot of the stuff actually had wound up in, in Chicago. And that shirt 
the day of the dead, I'm sorry, dawn of the dead shirt, Kareem Lynn had an idea of who had that and that, and I told Mike Borden about that. And Mike was able to get that back on himself separately. You know, dude, it's just fucking awesome. It's like, I always say it's the feel good story of the decades of feel good metal story. I don't know, man. You know, people have the means to, to do good in the world with money. You know, we, my wife and I, are very fortunate to be where we are in life. We donate to a lot of nonprofits and, and charities every year all over the place. And this was just one opportunity to take um, a big chunk of cash that could have gone anywhere. And this auction popped up and I'm such a huge fan of Cliff. He was such an amazing person. The more I learned about him as a person, mm-hmm. he's a dude I could have hung out with. I could have listened to Skinnerd and gone fishing with them. And <laughs> he was just a, a good hearted dude who flew the flag of like being honest and true. That was a big thing I've learned from Mike Borden was Cliff would always say there's power in truth. That was, I guess, a saying he would always say. And um, to that end, and, and again, my love of Cliff, and I was fortunate enough to meet Ray Burton, who's like the sweetest man you could have ever met in your life. Mm. Um, when I met him at NAM in like 2013 or something, I remember asking him if I could take a picture with him. And as we got our arms around each other and uh, my buddy's getting ready to take the picture, I said, hey, hey, Ray, I just got to tell you, man, um, Cliff is my favorite bass player of all time. And Ray turned to me and goes, Mine too. <laughs> I almost started crying then, right? I yeah. almost started crying. I got yeah. really like, wow, that's again to that end. Uh, you know, I, I mentioned what I do with my wife and stuff because people that hear about this story, you get you get some people rather, you know, a lot of people celebrate and, and, and applaud, and that's what we we want. It's a real amazing feel-good story. Cliff's personal belongings mm-hmm. and, and even Burton family belongings and Kareem Lynn, they got their, their stuff back. That's what's important. Some people don't want to go, well, why would you do that? Or how are you able to afford and do that? It's like, you don't, you're missing the point. You don't have to, don't ask those questions. I did it because right. I can. How awesome is it's, this? It's right? so awesome. And, and, and I know not everybody no. would necessarily understand what I'm about to say, but obviously you will. Getting that, having the means, like you said, and the ability and the knowledge and the know-how to get all of that stuff and acquire it and then to give it back, put it back where it belongs. That's a hundred times better than owning it. You God, know? yes. Ryan, yeah, you nailed yeah. it. Dude. Yeah. You nailed it. It's way better than, 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 than owning it. You know, yeah. I don't because people, the maniacs, when I say maniacs, I mean, jokes on me. I was going to say maniacs who collect memorabilia. <laughs> Wait yeah. a minute. Uh, yeah. But there, there's a level, there's a level of memorabilia maniacs who like anything. Yeah. They don't have scruples. They don't have a, a, a care uh, uh, about anything other than, wow, I got, you know, these personal items like I don't know who the F would ever have wanted Cliff Burton's family's uh, photo album. That's like that thick Mm -hmm. with all these photos for God's sake. I mean, 
this this amazing musician is dead at a young age and that's something that should not have ever been in anyone's hands other than his parents you know and unfortunately they're gone but he still has you know kc and, and relatives and people yeah. looking out for the estate and 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 all these other things it's like um, and, it's, and it's history why would you want to you it's, know it, it's, it's like history, right it's like you know billionaires or whatever that buy stolen paintings it's like yeah but that's congratulations yeah. you have that and only you get to look at it but that's like it, that should be for everyone at a certain it, point you know exactly right and it's been really cool too to see i've seen uh the burton family posting some of the pictures from that photo album and and that and then that party photo album the part the one from 1988 where they hosted metal had metallica and faith and more guys over for a barbecue mm-hmm. It makes me happy. They're sharing that with people and, and it's pictures no one's ever seen. And it's pictures that the Burton family hasn't had in their possession for years. And again, you know, like, again, like his mother's laminate, you know, a tour laminate, you know, isn't a big deal, I, I guess, but you know, it was Jan Burton's laminate, you know, and Metallica gave her that laminate. It's just like, you know, that should be with the family. It's, it's, it's it's history you know, you know i mean but, he's an he's an icon and he's someone who's so relatable you know like you said right he, he feels like someone you could hang out hung out with and i feel like you know from it, from a very different you know they're very different personalities one's laid back one's intense whatever but i feel like newstead carried that tradition in so much as he was the guy yeah. that we're here you're in the audience you're like i could hang out with that dude we'd be buddies you know right exactly uh, and and True Hillo has that, and I and I love and I love that Ray Burton went out of his way to give each of those each of Cliff's successors in the band his blessing and to have a relationship yeah. with them. And I've always thought that was so cool as a fan. It, it yeah, that it it really is uh, cool that 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 he did that. And you're right, those successors they always you know I've met both uh, Jason and Rob, and they they couldn't have been cooler more down-to-earth dudes and that's how cliff rolled and and again just having mike borden bend my ear or send me a text with a photo of 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 cliff from you know personal thing just i i eat that up and i treasure it you know because cliff's not here and you have someone on the planet who's who is still here like mike borden and you get just these incredible stories and you really realize the man Cliff Burton, not, not the musician, the man was right. such a cool dude. You know, there was no lying in him. There was no bullshitting in him. And he, and then, you know, of course he was extremely talented and, and driven and, and same with Corrine Lynn, Cliff's girlfriend, again, just friggin' phenomenal Cliff stories. You know, I wish I could get an oral history of Cliff just from these couple people because they're. I just, yeah. it's it's we so. Probably, I, I was going to say I know there's one Cliff book out there, but maybe maybe there's a Cliff book in our collective future. Yeah, <laughs> All right. These people are still around and have these stories, man. Um, it, it, exactly. So, yeah. but anyway, Ryan, that's uh, that's kind of how my whole uh, being being a a, a piece of. Uh, Cliff's history, if you will, and 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 get 
do combining these synergies with his family um, is again all from this auction and uh, well, and it brings I'll our kind of I'm just happy as hell. I'm just I just want to say I'm just uh, uh, anytime I think about it, just my heart just is like fuck yeah. yeah. Yeah, man. And it, 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 I, I, I was just going to say it, it brings our conversation full circle in the sense that, you know, the first question I asked you was, when did you get, when and how did you get into music? And then at what point did you know you needed to participate? And, and this yeah. whole thing with you and the Cliff memorabilia and getting that return to its proper places, that is the ultimate in participating and contributing and giving back, right? Because you feel right. a sense of something that's given so much to us. And then you start getting in that place of like, well, what can I give? But I mean, you know, even something as simple as for me, like when Ray Burton, I never got a chance to meet Ray, unfortunately. And when Ray passed away and I saw the news uh, and you just kind of get a sense of like, you want to, how can I help? What can I do? And I ended up writing the, his obit for Loudwire. Oh. And it, it was just like one of those things, you know, where you're just like, I want to, well, that's what I do. And I'm a news reporter and I've, you know, done that over the years and stuff. And, not that it's you know it's it's a it's a tiny tiny pebble in the on the beach of what you can do but i don't know I, it, it's there there is a certain passion and a certain reciprocal relationship that that we have to something like metallica that we love so much where it's just like well how can i right you know, what can i do and, and that you had an opportunity to do that and seized it is just right. inspiring it, man it's really cool. yeah well thank you I, and you know it's almost like WWCD, what would Cliff do? The more, <laughs> yeah. I, the more I know of him, I could, if, 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 if Cliff was alive and it would, this was someone else and, 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 and I had acquired all the, the, these, this mountain of personal items, Cliff Burner's type of guy, I am confident would say, hey man, do, do the right fucking thing. Give that back to the family, dude. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you were saying the truth thing. And of course I immediately think, you oh know, yeah, there's what, power what, and truth. Yeah. yeah, and I think uh, when a man lies, he murders part of the world. Right. right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, exactly, yeah. dude. Exactly. <laughs> got, goose, got goosebumps, man. You, you know it. I hope someday, uh, just for you, Ryan, and you know this amazing podcast you do. I hope you um, can uh, get a few minutes with the great Mike Borden, man. I was going to say we got. I got. I, I, I got to get Mike on here, and I got. He's, and, he's and a great. He's a great great dude um I, I love that guy he's become a good friend of mine and and you mentioned I, uh james's guitar tech you know i and, had his, his current guitar tech for oh, the last and, yeah. 10 plus years chad i had him on the podcast last year he's been great but yeah obviously having another headfield tech especially yeah since andy baddie's so really got history because he came in when the band just had dropped ride the lightning and and, and we're touring on ride the lightning and he he really was with the band through I think through Death Magnetic and, so. and he's got yeah he's got great stories and even if I don't know if you've ever had Kareen Lynn on your show no but she'd be another person um that would be great great for your podcast Kareen Lynn god she's just super sweet positive upbeat and um you know she's was part of that uh, magic era in Bay Area metal history. Mm -hmm. I mean, look, Cliff Burton's girlfriend. Good lord, what what else? He what's going to top that? I mean, 
she's just a wonderful human being too and someone you might want to talk to but yeah uh, whenever i've seen well, her they're, in they're all good people, and stuff you know? she seems awesome um well dude yeah. i 110 percent need to have you back and and sooner rather than later because yeah. there's so much more we could talk about <laughs> like, i know the more you like and i a- talk i can we have all these parallels and all, <laughs> Dude. other things, man. Absolutely. There's so much more Metallica we can talk and there's so much more movie stuff we can talk. And so Big many. Time. Yeah, dude. So we got, we have to do that. I'm okay. glad we were able to do that. Let's, and, let's, um, let's do it. And I want to put that on the books. Like I said, sooner rather than later for a part two. <laughs> all right. I, um, bro, I'd yeah. love to. I, I really appreciate you having me today. Thank you for the opportunity. And, um, talking about all this stuff man i i if you get me started talking about books music metal guitars <laughs> i mean on and on i'll just talk your freaking ear off oh yeah same but same this and is that, a great platform to, to dude that was that was the whole genesis of this yeah. podcast was i'm talking yeah. about metallica all the time anyway and right. it became it became a running joke with you know artists that i've built relationships with through writing about them a lot or whatever you know where I, it's like when's down gonna introduce metallica into the conversation because i'm always like oh it reminds me of like you know like metallica and then that that turned into like i should just make it a podcast yeah. <laughs> that whole, you know and, and and it's so there's no shortage of inspiring and amazing people who have been involved directly indirectly influenced yeah. the band were were influenced by the band you know it's just it's it's endless and then and, and i'm getting already getting to the point i mean i want to have you back like soon soon but yeah, i'm also I, getting I'm to the down, point dude where, i got you know, i got time i'd, I'd love to come back and yeah. uh, do 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 a part two and the beauty of this thing being focused on metallica i love talking about kind of like you know I, where i came from i never forget where i came from and metallica obviously played such a huge role in affecting my life in such a way that i mean i i made my own friggin' band that got signed and tours the world and we're doing our eighth album and it all goes back to that goddamn ride the lightning album you know (laughs) it's it's an amazing thing and then you and then you meet these younger generations and talk about transcending generations and having influence when you hear somebody say you know saint anger was my first metallic album and it really changed my life and you're like holy shit i want our first metal album you know first metal album yeah there's a billion stories that come out of this entity known as Metallica, there's a billion stories connected to that band, you know? Yeah, um, dude, well said. 